All right, what are the three modes of material nature? Goodness, passion, and ignorance. Okay. Um, I thought of a verse earlier today. Let's see if I can find it. Fourteenth uh, chapter, tenth verse. I think it's what I'm looking for. Oh, yeah. <coughs> this is it. So we're going to talk about oh, the modes and how they kick us around. Stop with questions at any time. Oh, okay. And even if you have a question that's a little off the subject matter, don't forget me. We'll answer it and we'll deal with it. Okay? So, Rajasthamas Chavi Buya Satvam Bhavani Bharata Rajahasatvam Tamas Chaiva Tamahasatvam Rajasthataha. Translation Sometimes the mode of goodness becomes prominent defeating the modes of passion and ignorance, O son of Bharata. Sometimes in the mode of passion sometimes the mode of passion defeats goodness and ignorance, and at other times ignorance defeats goodness and passion. In this way there is always competition for supremacy. So it's kind of good if I can say it and you can repeat it. Let's do it like that. So it always we all get to say it. So I'll say and you repeat. Sometimes the mode of goodness Sometimes, Sometimes the mode of goodness becomes prominent, becomes prominent, defeating the modes, defeating the modes of passion and ignorance. O son of Bharata. Sometimes the mode of passion defeats goodness and ignorance. And at other times, ignorance defeats goodness and passion. In this way, there is always competition for supremacy. Report by His Divine Grace to the A.C. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Shiva Prabhupada. When the mode of passion is prominent, the modes of goodness and ignorance are defeated. When the mode of goodness is prominent, passion and ignorance are defeated. And when the mode of ignorance is prominent, passion and goodness are defeated. This competition is always going on. Therefore, one who is actually intent on advancing in Krishna consciousness has to transcend these three modes. The prominence of some certain mode of nature is manifest in one's dealings, in his activities, in eating, etc. All this will be explained in later chapters, but if one wants, he can develop by practice the mode of goodness and thus defeat the modes of ignorance and passion. One can similarly develop the mode of passion and defeat the modes of goodness and ignorance. Or one can develop the mode of ignorance and defeat the uh, goodness and passion. Let me pause right there and say, now how would we do that? And why would is this necessary? Why would how do we why would we want to get into the mode of passion and defeat the other two modes, goodness and ignorance? Is there a use for that, or is that something we should just uh, yeah. I don't see a use for that. Yeah, there is a use. <coughs> yeah, what is it's activities. It enforces us to act. Yeah. What was Krishna trying to get Arjuna to do? Fight. Fight. Kill. Krishna was saying to Arjuna, I want you to get in the mode of passion. 
I don't want you to get out there and love of goodness, like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to hit you with my sword. Oh, this is going to hurt me more than you. Oh. But it's acting on behalf of Krishna. How's that one of passion? Ah, there you go. It is a mode of passion, but it's passion for Krishna. Transcendental passion. It's transcendental. It becomes transcendental. Now, I don't see how we could use the mode of ignorance for Krishna, you know, to serve Krishna. Would that be like Arjuna going, right there, Krishna? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to chill out, you know, while I, you see, I'm going to get some intoxication going here because, uh, I think it'll it'll help me fight the war, you know. Do you ever notice how people, when it comes to intoxication, if you know uh, anybody that, that that deals in intoxication, sometimes they think that it'll make them do something better, you know. Uh, musicians, they used to. I don't know if they still do, but some uh, actually some of the old guys have admitted, you know, like uh, the Led Zeppelin boys and other people like that. They used to think, let's get really stoned, you know, we'll be able to find the tunes, and so they'd get stoned. And, and then uh, as they grew up and uh, their health started to go to hell, you know, then uh, they, they all started to quit. And then they started to actually do music and they realized, God, we were terrible compared to what we can do. I mean, I was holding back my ability. I was debilitating myself. If I hadn't gotten stoned in those days, I could have been a much better musician. They, you know, many of them, the Moody Blues said that, and you know, so many of these people that were big stoners. Of course, some of them are so stoned that they don't know it. You know, they didn't come to it. Some of them were so stoned that they're dead. You know, <laughs> they killed themselves trying to, you know. Some of those dead are grateful. Yeah, and some of sometimes some of them sometimes we're grateful that they're dead. You know, uh, it's like Jimi Hendrix. You know, he uh, he uh, liked the devotees, and but then he became a little envious, and then he came up with this. He came up with this one album. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You know, the picture of of uh, of the of uh, the universal form, and his face was in the middle instead of Krishna. And someone showed that to Prabhupada, you know, Prabhupada went, oh, yeah. Prabhupada thought, closed his eyes for a moment, he said, unfortunately he will meet with a violent death because of that grave mm. offense. Mm. And he drowned in his own vomit, so that's pretty violent, mm. you know. And he was really trying to uh, enjoy, you see. So many times people are trying to use the mode of ignorance to uh, accomplish something. I'll, I'll get something if I can get myself in this mode. But you can't do anything as good as if you were not in the mode of ignorance. You see, some people think that they can have uh, sex better if they're intoxicated or in the mode of ignorance, do music better and so on, and none of that's true. Uh, none of it's true, you see. People who really have to focus and be on, uh, really, really fixed, uh, they can't be intoxicated. They, well, and intelligence tells you, I don't want anything holding me back. And it, it's not, being in the mode of ignorance does not release anything that will help you, you see. Uh, but sometimes when you have a heavy acti activity to perform, the mode of passion is necessary. You know, uh, I know many business people, 
and they say to me, and many of them are devotees, they say, you know, when I, when I leave my house to go to, to the office, I have to get completely in a mode of passion. I'm competitive. I have to compete with people who are trying to sell my clients and steal my business. And, you know, I may sit and chant Hare Krishna in the morning before I go uh, to the office. So I'm sitting there chanting and I'm feeling so nice, you know. And then on the way, on the, on the way to the office, I'm in the traffic, I'm in the, mode of pa I'm in the mode of passion, you know. Here I am going downtown to my office. And this guy over here is trying to get in front of me. So is this guy over here. So I start to get in the mode of passion. By the time I get to the office, I'm ready. And it's mode of passion all day. And then by the time I get home at night, when I walk in the door, I'm starting to feel now I can go finish my rounds, take some prasadam, get back into the mode of goodness, you see. So you can use the mode of passion. Uh, you can use the mode of goodness, you know. How do we use the mode of goodness to serve Krishna? Food for life. Food for life. Maybe if you're a physician, isn't it? Physician, he's in the mode of goodness. The physician, if the physician gets in the mode of ignorance, he's finished. He's in the mode of passion, he's really in trouble because, you know. But the physician, he's in the mode of goodness. He has to be uh, empathetic, you know. What, what are your symptoms and <coughs> how I can help, you see. <coughs> so we can, we can use the, the modes, you know. If you're in the mode of goodness, you'll defeat the mode of passion. Uh, if you can really grab hold to the mode of goodness, you'll defeat the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance. Uh, and if you're in the mode of passion, you'll, you can defeat the mode of, uh, of goodness and ignorance. And if you're in the mode of ignorance, there's nothing can be done. You know, you're just in that mode and the other two are finished. You know, you may think you're being good, but, you know, some people when they're in the mode of, of ignorance, they think they're you know, that they're doing something good or whatever, but that's just ignorance, you know. They're confused. It's, yeah, sure. I say, Sindhavati has me in the gift shop tonight. Do you mind if I go back and forth very quietly? No, no, no. So, any questions about that so far, about the modes and how they, how they interfere with us? Yes. I'm not hearing so much in the text that they interfere with us. I'm hearing more that they're there. They're that there. There's a way in which we can transcend. I mean, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, but with devotion, I mean, yeah. I don't have a question, but I'm just not hearing that they interfere. Yeah. Well, how do they interfere with us? Let's say, how can I be an effective devotee of Krishna? How can I advance spiritually? And I'm talking about other than going to the office or whatever, how can I advance spiritually? What uh, will the mode of passion help me if I want to advance spiritually? Well, it's there. I, I just don't think it's the, it's not the enemy. The passion isn't the enemy. It's just the relationship to the passion. Right. What we want to do is to get into the mode of goodness. If we want to advance spiritually... Well, first let's get into the mode of goodness. So now we've defeated passion and ignorance. Now in the mode of good when one is in the mode of goodness, 
things are, are, are feel better. A lot of times people want to get into the mode of ignorance through intoxication because they want to feel better. You know, But that's not true. It doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, the poor rascals that just don't know. You know, this is elementary when you think about it. You really feel worse in, in injecting or taking in some toxin is not going to make you feel better. But some people access the transcendence through hitting rock bottom in ignorance. Like the access point, I just don't always think is goodness. In fact, I think goodness can be a thin veil for superiority or, you know. Well, typically in the mode of goodness, you'll feel better. You feel better. In the mode of goodness, you've, you're, you're eating things that are in the mode of goodness. So if you eat things in the mode of ignorance or mode of passion, you may have a digestive situation. Mode of goodness, you've eaten things, so you don't have that digestive thing to worry about. You're not uh, uh, uncomfortable. The mode of passion makes you on edge, you know, ready to strike out quickly. Uh, you see what I mean? The mode of goodness, you feel better, your body is working better. Uh, so now, I can focus on my spiritual life. I can do yoga. You see, if you can, you imagine going to a yoga class and you're in the mode of, of ignorance. If you're intoxicated or something, that's not going to work. If you're in the mode of passion, you're going to be like, "Oh boy, what a boy this is!" You know, <laughs> can we move any faster here? You know, if you're in the mode of goodness, then you can slow down and and, and do the yoga. Yeah. That was interesting. I, I looked up what the word passion actually means, and it means painful suffering. Someone's in the mode of passion, they're really suffering in a lot of pain because they're yeah. after so many desires, yeah. so many things they want to fulfill. And even if those fulfillments are met, they're still not happy. So it really is a mode of suffering. Yeah. I have a question. So, yeah. but <clears throat> sometimes for me anyway, I feel like the mode of ignorance can be an impetus. In other words, when you're in a mode of ignorance, like you said, you're suffering, you're not feeling very good. Because sometimes when you hit, you know, the bottom and you think, God, I got to do something to improve myself, yeah. and then you, yeah, just, you were saying get that. serious yeah. about, you know, maybe you're chanting or your spiritual life. Yeah, if you're getting the mode of ignorance, you know, uh, sometimes uh, that's exactly true. You, you you feel like I've bottomed out. Boy, I'm telling you, I've really got to get my act together. Look at me. Look at the shape I'm in. You see, so that's like. Uh, Someone saying, uh, hey, don't touch that, that thing's hot over there. And you say, oh, really? Oh, gosh, yeah. You see what I mean? That's not first class. First class is, I say, hey, don't touch that, that's hot. You say, oh, okay, move away from it. You see, better. But it's effective if you have to touch it, and, it, and now you know, wow, I'm not touching that thing anymore. Uh, if you do get in the mode of ignorance and you think, oh man, I hate this, I've bottomed out, you know, this is trash, you know. But how many times have people, let me give you a good for instance, I've talked to so many people and they say uh, that uh, many, many times they've woken up with a hangover after New Year's Eve or Christmas or Friday night or Saturday night or Monday night, Tuesday, whatever, you name it, you know. And, they're, and, and they think, oh, oh my. God, I'm never going to do that again. 
You know, they think, oh, if I could just make it through this day. Oh, I swear I've never done it, but that's, that's not really... How many people have you ever told, have ever told you, you know, I got a hangover and I've never touched the stuff again? That's kind of rare. Some people have, but it's a little rare. You know, it's like they just keep on touching the stove. <laughs> you know, so uh, we have to be careful, you know. Uh, of course, I'm sure you're not talking about gross intoxication. You know, you're probably talking like sometimes we just get uh, lazy. lazy, you know. Uh, apathetic, you see. Uh, everything slows down, we're not doing very much, we're sleeping a lot, you know. Um, um, it, that'll, that'll lead to depression usually, you know. Uh, and then you feel like, oh, this is terrible, this is, you know, why not? I'm going to do something, you know, I'm going to get out and do something constructive and I'm not going to let myself get in this situation anymore. Is that what you're talking about? You know? So it can be. It can, it can be. But if we can get ourselves to the mode of goodness and then from there perform spiritual activities in a clear mind, a little bit more of a healthy state of mind and body, and then transcend all three of the modes and now we're in the mode of pure goodness. So, boy, that sounds fancy. How do we do that? What is this pure goodness, and how do we get it? Anybody? Hare Krishna. Yeah. Hare <laughs> Krishna. Chanting Hare Krishna will get you into the mode of pure goodness. What else? Associating with devotees. Huh? Associating with devotees. Yeah, you bet. Serving devotees. Yeah. <clears throat> the nine times of devotional service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it could be just doing anything. If you're in the right frame of mind, then just going to work can put you in pure goodness. Even if you're working a mundane job, if you think, I'm doing this, my dear Lord, as an offering to you. I am your humble servant, and this is my offering to you. Yeah. So, so like you're saying, the, the business person is in the mode of passion, but they're doing it to, to please Krishna. Yeah. So, so, I mean... Maybe they, from their guru, told them, you know, this is what I want you to do. You can you can make money in your job, your day job, and then, yeah. you know, give it to the temple, or you know, you can help in these ways. So, yeah. So like like Jarrell was saying, I mean, the mode of passion is like painful, but he's doing this. He's yeah. entering into the mode of passion for Krishna. Yeah. yeah. It's like Arjuna. He got into the mode of passion. He went out and killed his relatives, among others, you know. You see, for Krishna. For my offering to you, my Lord, even killing for, for a warrior, if it's done for Krishna, you see. So, yeah, we get in the, into the mode of passion. Now, our hankering, uh, which is what's painful about the mode of passion, hankering, the, the two main functions of the, um, the, the living entity who is affected by the modes and by the material nature. By, by illusion, the illusory nature of the material world. The two main activities are hankering, wanting something, and lamenting for what I can't get. I'm always wanting and I'm always lamenting, hankering and lamenting. So, um, but it's possible in business, let's say business, uh, or anybody who's, who's in the mode of passion, 
for Krishna. Now, what are we hankering, hankering for? I'm hankering for some success because I want to win more income because I have a project that I want to sponsor at the temple. It's not that, you know, we're not able to, uh, at least most of us aren't able to give everything, everything we make. We have to keep body and soul together. We have to pay rent and utilities and things like that. But you may have some project that you think that, that I want to, I know many people who work like that and they're sponsoring a project in their temple, you know. And when they go out, you know, to do their business, boy, they're in a mode of passion because I'm out there to win the wealth for Krishna, you see. And uh, when they get it, they're going to take enough to cash flow their life, and man, then here they go, they're using it to, to serve Krishna. That is the mode of pure goodness. Even though you may be in the mode of passion throughout the day, you see. Does that make any sense? Okay, I'm going to finish this last little bit and then we'll discuss some more, okay? Oh, we can, we can talk more right I now. I have a question about that. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, when you look at the, the present situation, in, in most religious, you know, the funda fundamentalism is because of, when I mean, they are saying, I'm doing it for God. Everybody is saying, no, no matter, no, they're justifying it, saying that I'm doing this for, for my God. Mm -hmm. So how do you discriminate what, I mean, because they also have their own scriptures, one, one, one way of understanding, they've been preached and taught and, you know, in that way. So how do, how do you, how do you really know what is what? That's a, that's a really excellent uh, question. Uh, how, do we, how do we know? So one guy is saying, I'm doing this for God. I'm going to come and uh, uh, take up my weapons and I'm going to go yeah. kill that guy over there for God, you know. So, uh, okay, first of all, uh, did you decide that on your own? Or did God ask you to do it? You know, I, I would wonder what gave you that idea to do it. But let's look at the motive. And, and there's a motive other than just serving God, you see. Let's see what will be the result of your activities, you see. So if I'm a religion, and I say I'm working for God, so I'm going to come and... and kill you and steal your land uh, because you weren't religious you see now is, is that is that right is that correct this has been done before so anybody know history Henry V the Crusades yeah the Crusades the mm -hmm. Americans at one time uh, uh, Britain decided that France belonged to them and they did, they invaded France and killed. You know, it was Henry V. He was, you know, that Shakespeare. You know much about that? I don't. I, I don't remember it. I used to, but he went and killed so many people. And they were doing it for God. The Crusades. They were doing it for God. Although all the wealth that they were winning was going back home, back to England. So the spread of Islam also was by the sword. By the sword for God. For God. Yeah, but re that's religion in the mode of ignorance, killing for God. Yeah, passion and ignorance together. But yeah, that's that's. Well, thinking that words, killing is everyone has God within them, and thinking that God wants you to kill a part of Him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could see Krishna's motive. He wanted a bunch of people killed. His motive was Kali Yuga starting, and 
the demonic influences are in power. That's not good. I mean, Kali Yuga, this age of quarrel and hypocrisy, is going to be bad enough. So Krishna didn't want Kali Yuga to progress with the bad guys in, in, uh, in power. So he thought, at least we need righteous people in power. Plus, they, they are the true heirs to the throne anyway. The demonic forces have usurped power and taken advantage of the situation, stolen the throne, and they're evil, you see. So just for the benefit of the people to come for thousands of years, like for our benefit and everyone that's, that's it, uh, taken birth on this planet in Kali Yuga, Krishna engineered this situation where there was a war and uh, the demonic forces were toppled, the Pandavas were, were placed on the throne, and Kali Yuga started off to a positive spin rather than a very negative spin, you see. It's so, uh, but that's very different than someone uh, deciding that, well, we're, we're just going to kill you because we disagree with your religion. You know, your religion doesn't agree with mine, so I'm going to kill you and <laughs> take your land at the, you know, and your wealth. You see, at the same time. It's really interesting yeah. is that people tend, in Kali Yuga, people tend to think that um, a diff because someone practices a different religion, they have a different God. And Prabhupada didn't yeah. agree with that concept. That's just plain silly. Because, you know, well, uh, we're not saying that. You know, sometimes uh, my Christian friends will ask me uh, when they when we're first getting to know one another, they say, "Who who is Krishna anyway?" Well, he's the father of Jesus. You know, this is God the Father. Said, oh, okay, I okay understand. So we're not saying we've got a whole new God over here. My God can beat your God up. You know, <laughs> we're not saying like that. We're saying, uh, first of all, uh, open your eyes, get deep into your, your consciousness, your thought, your uh, thinking ability, and look past dogma. And uh, heard some, I saw this uh, uh, bumper sticker the other day, uh, my karma ran over your dogma. <laughs> so anyway, get past these things, think logically. Can you limit God? Is it possible to limit God? God is unlimited. Is there anything we don't understand about that statement? God is unlimited. So I say when I'm arguing with people of different faiths, is your God unlimited? Yes. Yes, he is. All right, then how come you're putting limits on him? Well, I'm not putting them. Well, yes, you are. You're saying he's the only, that your concept of him is the only one. And yet, at the same time, you're telling me he's unlimited. I don't get it. Something. Either he's limited or he's unlimited. Well, he's unlimited. Okay, if he's unlimited, he's Krishna too. You see? He has unlimited personalities. We're not saying Krishna just has one personality. Krishna has unlimited personalities. And the concept of Jehovah is one of his personalities. You know? That is Krishna that they're talking about. So it's because we're we're involved in material nature. We want to. Uh, it's one-upsmanship. 
you know, I want to outdo you, and you know, uh, because we're a different nationality, different colored skin, you know, or uh, gee whiz, the stuff that you cook with smells spicier than the stuff that I cook with. <laughs> you know, uh, I see some physical differences, so therefore my religion is. <coughs> Uh, Krishna's relationship to Shiva? Shiva is, the, is a devotee of Krishna. Okay. One of Shiva's names is Mahadev. Maha means great and Deva means devotee. He's a great devotee. He's considered the greatest devotee of Krishna, the great servant of Krishna. He's one of the, the what's, what we would refer to as the demigods. Mm -hmm. But yet he's in a different... Oh, there he is right there, Shivaji. Hare Krishna. He's in a different classification than the other demigods. Lord Shiva is a little different, for, hard for us to understand because he's more divine than the other demigods. But he's not the supreme controller. He's not the absolute uh, personality of Godhead. You see, he's, he's Shiva. He's in his own classification. So it was in devotion to Krishna that he danced the world into existence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't actually make the. He didn't actually create the world, though. You know. Um, but anyway, Lord Shiva, uh, in devoted in devotion to Lord Krishna, he drank the ocean of poison, or he drank the, po the poison that was out of uh, out of the ocean as it was being churned by the demigods and the demons. It's in the fourth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, different liquids came out. One of them was poison, and Lord Shiva, out of his devotion, sat and he drank. He sucked it all up. That's why he has the color on his neck. Blue. Yeah, the bluish. You know, you can see those stripes on his neck. So, uh, he's, he's a, a great devotee. Lord Shiva is in charge of a department. He's in charge of uh, hot goblins and ghosts and things that go bump in the night. And a lot of people are Shivites and they don't know that. Well, they're Western New Ages that don't know what Shiva is all about, but they think they, they do. You know, but Lord Shiva, the reason why he's that color is because he covers himself with, anybody know what? What does he cover himself with? Ashes. Yes. Ashes. Ashes of what? From graduation. From crematory. Hmm. Covers himself with that, you know. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he frequents. Uh, cemeteries, uh, you know, places like that. And he's very merciful. He's very easily pleased. He's also very easily angered. But he's very easily pleased. And he'll reward material desires if people want something. She was nice to go to. He'll, you offer him some nice little offering and he'll go, oh, yes, you please me very much here and you can have what you're asking for. So, but if, if Shiva isn't the Supreme Godhead, why is it that people don't approach Krishna when they want things like that? Although many people do, but why would people go to Shiva instead of Krishna? Anybody know? They still want sense enjoyment rather than God. Yeah. You can talk to people in India, you know, Shivites and different people, and you'll say, you know, can say, do you... Uh, do you believe Krishna is the supreme personality of God? Oh yes, Krishna is the supreme personality of God. 
but yet you worship Lord Shiva and you, you offer all your oblations and worship to Shiva and you go to him when you want something. Oh yes, yes. Well why is that? If Krishna is the supreme, why do you approach Lord Shiva? No, Shivaji will give. Yes, but what about Krishna? Yes, he'll be giving, but Krishna will take away my desire. <laughs> you know, they know I get too close to Krishna. I go into Krishna and I've got this lusty desire. I want something, you know, passion. I've got, well, I want something. And if I go to Krishna, I'll look at him and think, oh, you are so wonderful, you know. My desires just left. Krishna says, yes, what can I give you? Oh, my dear Lord, I just want you. You know, you're so beautiful and I just fell in love. You just stole my heart. Well, I don't want to do that. I want my passionate desire. So I'm going to go to Shiva or Ganesh or, you know, somebody else like that. Um, I was just getting back to the, uh, the word Balakukshatra. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> so, Satria is supposed to be someone who they only use violence when they're trying to defend somebody, right? Right. So was the battle of Kurukshetra, were they, was this a battle of defense? Were they defending, um, you know, themselves and their, their people? Or they, were they defending them from harm, like, specifically, or was it? Yes. Uh, indirectly. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like the Kurus were going to go kill everybody, although they did, they tried to kill the Pandavas. You know, they were, uh, they were demonic. They weren't. Um, uh, they weren't spiritual thinkers. They wanted uh, material gain, and the, the kingdom didn't belong to them. But yet they had it, and they weren't going to give it to the rightful owner. The rightful owner were the were the Pandavas. You know, the Pandavas are righteous and um, fair and. Uh, so spiritual. So Pandava was the only other choice basically was just like leave and just leave the kingdom, right? Or, I mean, yeah, either the, the Pandavas, you know, it, the choice was either you fight or just let them rule, let them take it and rule. And uh, Krishna didn't like that option. Krishna thought, no, it's not, it's not right. Although Krishna didn't fight, uh, you know, he was pulling for the Pandavas. You know, as a matter of fact, Krishna's army get, went to the side of the, the Kurus. <clears throat> he gave uh, um, Duryodhana and uh, Arjuna the choice. You know, one of you can have me, and one of you can have my army. And I promise I will not fight. And Arjuna said, "Oh, I'll take you." So that meant Krishna's army, which is the best army on the planet, went to the other side. You see. Because Arjuna felt like that was a huge army too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Which made it tougher for Arjuna to win, you know. But Arjuna, out of his love of Krishna, he was thinking, "I don't care if it's tougher. I want you." You know. So, you know, that's you know. There's a lot to discuss about the philosophy. A lot of people think, "Well, there's just never any need for war." Well, sometimes there is. I've heard people tell me there's never a need for violence. And sometimes there is. You know, if somebody's breaking in your house and he's going to kill you, um, of course you could decide to sit by and let him kill your, your family and yourself. You could decide to do that and think you're doing something kind. You know? But that's not proper. You, you know, you have a, a duty to defend.
It's a duty. Defense is a duty sometimes. When it's, when it's uh, as they say, in your face, sometimes you have to defend. You know, so, uh, and hopefully that's rare, but sometimes in this world we have to defend. Yeah, it's kind of hard to understand because everybody in this age is like such degraded consciousness that, like back then, you know, that, that whole, the whole Pandavas, Pandavas were like more righteous, and the yeah, the Kurus were like degraded. You know, but now everybody is like most everybody's degraded. Everyone know? has <laughs> is affected by this degraded consciousness of Kali Yuga. You know, we're thinking I, me, and mine. I want, I want, I want. You know, I need more, I need more. How many people do we know in America that feel like, man, I've got way more than I need. I don't want anything else. <laughs> I mean, there are some. You know some? Bill Gates. No, no. Bill Gates wants more. He's giving it away. He's giving it away. Well, you know why he's giving it away? You know why he's giving it away? Taxes. Taxes. <laughs> His taxes just went up. Yeah. Obama got reelected, so, and he's part of that evil, mean, nasty one percent. You know those guys that, the mean, nasty, stingy, uh, demoniac, one percent. The people who make more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. You know, Wait. damn them. And those are the people. Wait, who, I'm sorry. Say what you said. People who make more than two hundred fifty thousand a year are one percent. Yeah, two percent. Was is it four hundred thousand? Telling a joke. Or? Is it over four hundred thousand? That's one part of. Oh, that was the the deal they made. No, no, but I mean, there's. Uh, yeah, it was about 07 percent, four hundred thousand or four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, they were all arbitrary numbers that they chose. Yeah, but according to uh, the Internal Revenue Service. Statistics, just numbers that they tabulate. Uh, that top one percent, whatever wherever you draw the line of, as far as income, but the top one percent of wage earners is responsible for seventy-five percent of all charitable donations in America. So one of us out of a hundred pays seventy-five percent of all charitable donations. And that top 1% is responsible for 65% of all federal income tax paid. One out of 100 pays 65% of the other 99s, and half of us pay no taxes. No, so everybody pays some taxes, it's just not income tax. I'm talking income tax. All right. So... So you can see how things can get kind of, you can twist things around and there's a motive for making it sound like, well, we need to hit those people again, get some more money. So Bill Gates is letting go of money. He's got, uh, you know, you can bet he's got some big Wall Street financial planners who are saying, you know, Bill, you need to spend a few million here. We need to get a few million gone so we can get you this much of a, uh, of a rebate or whatever, it, it will cost you more if you don't donate it. You know. Plus, he is he is charitable, but he wants more. More philanthropic than most. Yeah, he is. And Warren Buffett, you know, he mm -hmm. seems like a pretty. And they're very close yeah. friends. So. Yeah. Don't forget Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> yeah. The fact of it is, it's it's common amongst uh, 
people who, who have a great deal. It's common. It's not always, their charity isn't always in a mode of goodness. Many times it's in a mode of passion. If I, if I donate, if I give large donation, I decide, you know, I'm going to build a hospital. No, no, I'm going to, I'm going to set up a fund and I'm going to build a hospital. And of course it's going to have my name on it, you know. So then people are going to know that it's my hospital, so it'll give me a competitive edge in my business when they see my business my name in my business and my name on the hospital, they're going to say, hey, are you the guy that built the hospital? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Well, I think I'll deal with you. you know, you're a charitable, charitable guy. So it, ultimately, I get uh, a return. So <laughs> we'll see a lot of that. It's not just not just because they're good guys. Of course, I'm sure there's some of that. You know? so. And it doesn't mean they don't want more. Your original question. Oh, they want more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've known a lot of rich people. I know. Uh, and not just people making a couple of hundred grand a year. I mean rich. And they want more. You know. yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, so many, many of my friends and family people I knew were very wealthy. So and, and I remember this one guy who was a doctor and he told me when I was under in my twenties and he said, If you're not a millionaire by the time you're thirty, I'm gonna kick your ass. I mean that was his consciousness about what I should do with my life, you know, he just was really insistent that I had to become a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. So I took a big bag of money and hit you with it. Yeah. And I will, you know, <laughs> see my purposes, you know, and do, do you know, had, I'm had gonna, of, I'm gonna beat order. you with a bag of money. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was very, very, but everything was more. And his, every time, we had dinner at his house many times, so, nice guy, very nice guy, but his, and he owned, he ended up buying a, um, a restaurant on Rodeo Drive. So um, he took me in there and he goes, yeah, see, last night there was a, uh, I don't know what star, uh, Gregory Peck sitting there last night. And so this was all big stuff to him, but it was all about more and better and yeah, it, it obsessed him, actually. And why why do they want more? Because they can get more. But Yeah. And so, so much I have today, so much I want tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know, so much I'll have tomorrow. He just wasn't happy. I think that was the study that I did when all these folks that were so obsessed with accumulation of more, you would think at some point that all this that they would want, that they actually successfully acquired would actually satiate them, but actually desires actually seed more desires. Yeah. Desires are endless. They're not, it's not possible to satiate desires. Yeah. And what, you're exactly right, the more you have desire and you try to satisfy that material desire, and now I, 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 I had a, um, a goal on what it would take to make me happy. Mm -hmm. Now I've hit that goal, and I, I miscalculated. Mm -hmm. I didn't set my goal high enough. The reason why I'm saying that, at least maybe subconsciously, I know that that didn't satisfy me. Because now that I have it, and actually when we see it coming in the door, the goal goes up. Because, wow, I, was, I did that, you know, I hit that target. And, and I won that wealth, but you know, if I had you know X plus, then I would be happy. So and Bernie Madoff, he was a multi-millionaire before he ever even started. Who was it? Bernie Madoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a oh, yeah. multi-millionaire in his own right before he ever got into doing 
what he did, and it just, it, it was amazing. It's like, how much is enough? Yeah. There is no enough. And, I mean, America is the place where people have been hitting, hitting the jackpot for a long time. We've seen people open businesses and become wealthy, you know? I mean, for hundreds of years this has been going on. So, with all that happening, where is this community of people who've got to the point where they've said, okay, I've got enough. I'm taking it easy. I'm 40 years old. We see people sometimes that say, I'm 40 years old and I've got mega millions and I'm just going to retire. And they do, but then they're back in there somewhere. They have to go back and get more, you see. So you would think that uh, if it was satisfying that we see all, all these people, America would just be full of people that are just coasting. They got their nest egg and that's it. That's all I need. Uh, I got satisfied. But we don't see that. It just doesn't happen. We don't see that anywhere. Uh, what happens to uh, show business personalities when they, when they get successful? They start working harder and harder and harder and harder. You know, they get an agent that can book them everywhere. I mean, these people are going like crazy. And sometimes they self-destruct. They self-destruct. You know, they don't take care of themselves properly. They they intoxicate their bodies to just to, to they think they need it to keep their sanity you know because they're going so hard because there's so much that I can make it's there I can't I can't walk away from 20 million dollars a year you see I can make 20 million dollars this year so and it means I'm not really going to have much of a life but 20 million I can do that you know so they think like that. So it's motive passion. I want more. I want, I want, I want. And as Gerald uh, pointed out, uh, it's, uh, it causes its own suffering. The desire, it, it creates a suffering. You know, so, uh, but if I had more, I won't, I won't be suffering. So the, it just, the target keeps getting higher, harder to reach, as we try harder and harder to satisfy ourselves materially. It just doesn't work. Any other questions, comments? What chapter was this coming out of? Because I want to go home and read 14. it again. 14th chapter, 10th verse. Thank you. Yeah, I've got like another uh, sentence or two. Let me read the purport. Although there are these three modes of material nature, if one is determined, he can be blessed by the mode of goodness. And by transcending the mode of goodness, he can be situated in pure goodness, which is called the Vasudev state, a state in which one can understand the science of God. By the manifestation of particular activities, it can be understood in what mode of nature one is situated by the manifestation of particular activities. So how we're behaving will tell others, and it should tell yourself, what mode am I in right now? So, and that's a good reality check for ourselves. When we find ourselves uh, behaving or reacting. You know, say you're going down the freeway, you know, and a guy cuts you off. 
he pulls over real quick in front of you. You've got to hit the brakes kind of hard. Not dangerous, but you did have to slow down. And you're like, oh, and maybe you make an obscene gesture at him, you know. What mode are you in? Passion. Yeah. You know. Now what if you see the guy starting to, to cut you off and you hit the brakes to let him in? You think the guy probably needs to get off up here somewhere and you know, so I need to look out for him and let him in. What mode are you in now? Goodness. Goodness. And if you're so spaced out that you don't even notice what's going on, you know, until the last minute, then you panic and move over and hit the guy next to you, well, you're in the mode of ignorance. <laughs> so you can see as you go through the, your day, it, it's really good, it's really spiritually healthy to uh, take your, your pulse once in a while. What mode am I in? If, uh, you know, if you find yourself feeling an anxiety or a little anger, you know, for something that's going on, just ask, you know, what mode am I in right now? If I'm in one of the modes, like passion or ignorance, if I'm emotional, I'm going to lose some of my intelligence. I'm not going to be able to deal intelligently. But if I'm in the mode of goodness, then I can access a greater uh, quantity of my intelligence and make better decisions. You see? Can you speak a little bit more to the phrase, the science of God? The science of God. Uh, let's say the science of God could be explained on uh, the methodology by which we attain the Supreme. Okay? It's scientific. Uh, there's a science to everything. Uh, it's just <laughs> funny. I'm, I know you probably remember this. Maybe it's been a long time since you've thought about it, but in uh, 1975, uh, Prabhupada went to Pratyatra uh, in Chicago. And so he's on morning walk. And they took him up to the north side. You know, it's really posh neighborhood. And so he's walking, Prabhupada's walking out front and uh, strolling. And uh, all the devotees are trying to keep up with him. And this big dog comes running up to Prabhupada. You know, strange to see a dog. You wouldn't think that big, there'd be a loose dog in this neighborhood. But there was. And Prabhupada didn't go, huh. Prabhupada just said, hut. And the dog went, hmm. <laughs> Big dog, you know. And the dog just kind of went, hmm. And he just walked away. Prabhupada just kept on striding. <laughs> and then a little while later, another big dog ran out. And, and uh, Brahmananda, you know, Prabhupada's disciple, you know, big guy, big heavy guy. He's sannyasi, he had his dundam. He looks at the dog and he says, Hut! And the dog went, It's like an attack. And Prabhupada said, Hut! And the dog, Whoop! And ran away. And Brahmananda looked at Prabhupada and Prabhupada looked at Brahmananda and he said, You must know the science. <laughs> there's a science to it, you know. Science means there's a methodology. If you do this, uh, you'll get this result. So the science of, of God consciousness means what is that process that will get us closer to Him? Um, what do you really want? What do you say, God, what do you need? You know, we have to decide. When I say uh, I want to get closer to God, what do, I know, what do I really need? 
Does it mean I don't want to go to hell? You know, I want to, you know, get on his good side, so I'm not going to go to a bad place, or maybe bad things won't befall me. What What are you looking for? So uh, there's there's a different science for depending on what you want from this uh, uh, achieving God. You see, if you say I want to love Him, I want to share an intimate, loving relationship with Him. Well, then the science for that is devotional service. You see, if I want the supreme love in my life, if I want to live in love beyond anything else that nothing else can compare to, which is coming from the supreme lover, Krishna, you know, then I have to perform loving devotional service to Him. So that's the science for achieving the supreme in that nature. If you want him to be your order supplier, then there might be another science, you see. And maybe Krishna is not the, the, the personality that you're looking for. If you want to be um, just protected, maybe you just are, and uh, you, you feel good worshiping God in awe and reverence, then stay away from Krishna. He's not going to give you all the reverence. You know, if you could get close to Krishna, there would be no awe and reverence. You know, it's like Jagway tomorrow, I was just saying, you know, Krishna and Goloka Vrindavan, he's like this comedian Rodney Dangerfield, never gets any respect. Krishna doesn't get any respect. You know, he doesn't respect. The gopis don't respect Krishna. They just love Krishna. They don't think of Krishna as God. You know? And you can't get that close if you think somebody's God. See, so they want to get closer than you can get to God. So love will, will trump on reverence if you develop your, your love. See, if you want to have that loving relationship, someone that you can walk with your arm around him, holding his hand, and get even more intimate with that, maybe playing a joke, you see. So uh, there's no room for our reverence if you want to get that close. So um, for, for that type of rasa or relationship, then you have to approach Krishna, the Supreme. Well, he's the Supreme because you, that's, that is the um, personality that you can exchange the supreme emotion with, which is love. You see, not on reverence. Krishna doesn't care for on reverence, but he has other personalities that will accept all the on reverence that you can give. As a matter of fact, just seeing those personalities, you're struck with awe and reverence. You'll fall down like a rod. You see, and you wouldn't think of running up and throwing your arms around their neck. You see, you're going to keep them at a distance and worship. But if you want to get real close, you know, super loving relationship, then there's personality of Krishna. And to approach Him, you do that through loving devotional service. That's the science. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm.
So what we have to figure out is what do we want? You know, we can't say, well, we want to be, uh, we want loving devotional service. We want to have a loving relationship with Krishna. So we're better than you. No. It's different. It's different. But you'd be surprised how, how many people don't know that that kind of a relationship is available. They've never thought of that. As I travel around and I'm talking to people, they'll, sometimes you'll see somebody in the crowd and you can see there, all of a sudden, this is just, they're doing the math, you know. You mean to tell me that I can have Krishna as my dear friend? God is my friend. I mean, a real buddy. You know? I mean, you mean to not even think about him as God, just be like, my best, most wonderful, loving friend? I said, yeah. Never thought of it like that. Never thought of God like that. So Krishna's like that. You know? Krishna's not. He's not looking for all reverence. He can get all that he wants. He gets. He's already full up to hear of it, you know. So he's not. He's not attracted by that. He is attracted and uh, governed by love. You can control him with your love. If you love him enough, uh, you surrender to him in love and devotion. He'll surrender to you in love and devotion. You see, that's what he wants. That's our original relationship with him. We've all had that. You see. We may not be wanting that now. We may be wanting something similar to that or whatever, but <coughs> that is what we once had. And we, we all came from that. Therefore, we want to go back home. Back to Godhead. It's not a, this isn't a new thing. You know, this isn't new to any of us. We've all had, we've all had our arms around Krishna's neck. We've all, all had Krishna in our embrace. We've been there. So we're just trying to get it back. And along the way, some people are going to want uh, maybe impersonal, an impersonal relationship, rather. You know. And that'll probably, odds are, that'll change. They'll think, oh, no, I got the impersonal relationship. You know, we got um, liberation into the impersonal Brahman. I'm thinking this isn't enough, so I want, I want to go back and try to get something better, you see. So some of us will get there quicker, and some of us it'll take much, much, much longer, depending on our desire. You know, but as soon as we start to desire, my, my God, Krishna, I just want you. Then Krishna says, well, what? What would you say? Whoa, this is huge. You want me now? Ah, oh, wow. Here, take my hand, you know. I've been here all along. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for you to say those words. So, let's do it. You know, that's his, his attitude. Let's go for it. He's ready to do it. But we have to make the choice. You know, he doesn't... Uh, he's not, he's not going to force us. He gives us free will. And if we want to... Uh, along the way, stop and worship and on reference or in some impersonal relationship. Feel free, Krishna says. You feel free. Do as you want. Do as you will. 
so it is uh, 8 o'clock and I'm thinking we probably ran out of time. So thank you all so much for coming. It was uh,